What's up everybody, Josh here. Just wanted to let you know that Brush Creek Monsters has been updating their site weekly with new Doe on Fire Estrus. Myself, Chris, Rick, and the rest of our team have been using Doe on Fire Estrus since late October with great success. So head on over to the website at brushcreekmonstersllc.com and get you a bottle of Doe on Fire. Hey everybody, Rick here from Fueled by the Outdoors, and I'm here to tell you about a wonderful company, Saddies, custom ammunition and gun works. Aaron Satterfield and his family have been turning out some awesome game loads lately. Uh, I've been using the Saddies Fatties uh, turkey loads, and I gotta tell you, they stop a bird dead. Chris uh, used a 20 gauge this year, I used the 12, Josh used a 20, and uh, my son actually killed one with a 410 this year with uh, one of the Saddies loads, and my god, do they put the birds down like crazy. Aaron Satterfield and his family have a wide-ranging array of ammunition, custom game loads, predator loads, turkey loads, the Saddies Fatty, and also they do gun work. Please get a hold of them with any questions that you have in terms of your custom ammunition needs. Go to saddiesllc.com. That's S-A-T-T-I-E-S-L-L-C.com and tell them that Rick from Fueled by the Outdoors sent you. Buck down, baby. Oh my gosh, that was freaking awesome. This is my first public land buck. This is my second set of the season. I can't believe. Oh my gosh, I just heard him fall. I just heard him fall. Uh. I just shot my Kentucky buck. Welcome to Fueled by the Outdoors. I'm your host, Chris Lepper, and tonight. We are joined by a very special guest for, I think, like his 17th time on our podcast. He's the only one that will tell us yes. Uh, Derek, how are you, man? Pretty good, man. How you doing, Chris? Not too bad. This is my buddy Derek Craig. He has um, the YouTube channel New Day Outdoors, uh, does some work with like 64 different companies in the hunting industry. <laughs> um does a little bit of work with like magnus and um, athens and some other cool companies so uh, i think hot shot archery um, takes really good pics and video and stuff uh guy filmed in the super bowl i'm pretty sure didn't you do that yes i did what, yep. what was your job there by the way before i talk about your deer i like, was I, so um uh, a very good friend of mine is a professional photographer and uh, uh used to photograph NFL games. Uh, now he is like the director of sports photography for Notre Dame now. Um, so nice. it's all Notre Dame football and stuff. But anyways, so he, he photographed a lot of uh, Notre Dame football games and I, and I used to take him goose hunting a lot. And so when the Col or when uh, the Super Bowl was in uh, Indianapolis, um, he's like, Hey man, he's like, uh, grab your camera and let's go. And so I just say go and hang out and do whatever I wanted. And it was, it was awesome. So I got to, I shot some video and, and photos and, and I was down there for media day and got to talk to different players and see different players. And who played in that one? That was the giants and the Patriots. 
So that was when the Giants are you shitting me? in Indianapolis. Which yep. so was this the first <laughs> meeting or second? What year? Oh eight? No, I think that was it was the second meeting because second it was in two thousand I'll say maybe twelve. Twelve. Thirteen? Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Somewhere it was around right that around time. that time. Okay. Yeah, so the second I film, meeting. I was I was filming on a big ass uh Canon uh XHA one camera. So I'm lugging this gigantic video camera around and everything. And, but uh, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun. So it was pretty cool. So it was my one and only time. I had a I had an NFL media pass, which actually I come to find out was good for uh, the next year. So I could have gone to NFL games on a media pass, and I didn't know it. I found it out oh. towards the end of the year. Yeah. So I, I I have it somewhere. It's an actual legitimate NFL oh, yeah. media pass for the Super Bowl, and yeah, it's pretty cool. So it was, no. it was fun. Yeah. No, no media pass for the Mobile Hunters Expo, but uh. <laughs> oh, I I I finagled one. Come on, I got one. Last year. <laughs> no, no, I mean it's it's no. Oh, media oh pass no. for no. I, I knew I, you were man, there. I don't know. I don't know. The the Mobile Hunter Expo is always a highlight. So, <laughs> Super Bowl, you know. That's the game that Mobile I. Hunter. uh basically became a fan of tom brady too um that's when yeah i dude i was standing there on media day 10 feet from him probably so yeah he's hanging around talking to reporters and stuff that's that's when uh wes welker like nobody could catch a pass to save their mm -hmm. life and then he wouldn't say it and his wife said something after the game and yeah. he he kind of like I wouldn't say got on her, but was like, "Hey, you can't, can't yeah. say that." So, anyway, um, fun Well, you killed an absolutely gorgeous deer in Indiana on your home farm, and I wanted to talk to you about that. Did you ever put a tape on that deer? Have somebody score it? Anything to kind of give people an idea what he was? I I did personally. I put a tape okay. on him. Um, you know, I'm no official scorer, and I, and I never will probably. I'd probably have to shoot a world record before I'd have something officially scored. Uh, but I'm smart enough to put a tape on a typical deer and come up close enough. So yeah, it was right around 142 gross. So I think 142, and that's gross. basically as a main frame eight with a little little G. Yeah, that, he's yeah he's got a ninth point, but it's only like I think one and three eighths or something. So yeah, yeah, he okay. to me he's an eight pointer. Yeah, he's got uh, like ten. One of his G twos is like ten and a half. The other is like ten. I mean, his base is one, like five and a five and two eighths, and the other is five and four eighths. So five and a quarter, five and five. And do you half remember? Do you remember rough beam measurements at all? Like twenty three, twenty four. I want to say twenty three range. I would have to pull up the the. I so I've got a there's a score my rack app or something. I bought it yeah. years ago for like two bucks i don't know so i have it on my phone so when i do i always i typically measure up deer because for myself just so i have an idea because i can sure. tell you one of the one of the things i'm bad at is i'm very bad at looking at a deer on the hoof and judging and, and i'll talk about my the my typical deer that i like to shoot in a minute but anyway so um so i'll measure them up just so i know and and I honestly had no idea that he was even really that big. Um, <laughs> not that that's not that that's huge, but you know, I'm a guy who's only killed now 340 inch deer. So 
um yeah so when the the numbers started adding up in the in the app and i was like holy crap because all you gotta do is just here, take this measurement enter it take that one enter it and then it calculates it out so anyway so yeah he's 142 gross roughly i mean give or take and again i'm sure some measurer could measure him up and and probably come up an inch with an inch you know within an inch of that so you know whatever it's close enough for me i just know what class of deer he is and i'm cool big damn deer yeah, he's a very nice. Yeah, he's, he's the biggest archery deer that I've ever killed. Yeah. So, really? Um, what is your biggest deer overall? 50, uh, I think the no, 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 no. One about one forty four is all. Yeah. Oh, so okay. killed, so you damn yeah, near. So he, he's one forty two. I killed another one with a rifle a few years ago that I think was right around one forty three, and then I've got one I killed with a I shot with a bow and lost. And turned around and killed him a month later with a muzzleloader. That was back in 2008. I think he was right around 144, maybe 145. I don't remember. So, yeah, that's insane, dude. You, yeah, so you they're all right there together. So, and shot it later. Yeah. Where'd you hit the deer that made you lose him? Right in the freaking shoulder, square in the shoulder. So, no yeah, shit. just square in the shoulder. Yeah, you know the typical shoot him high in the shoulder. I got like. I don't know, like two, three inches of penetration was all. Um, this is pre, and I'm not, bl- I will never blame a broadhead for anything. No. This was my pre, pre-Magnus pre days before I was with Magnus and shooting them. It was actually when Slick Trick was a brand new company. And uh, Bill, uh, who's now passed away, was the owner. And uh, I had gotten with him on Archery Talk, and I think he sent me up a couple packs of heads. And... Uh, yeah, I, I think I'd shot a couple does. I'm like, ah, that's a reasonable head. And it wasn't the broadhead's fault. I hit him square in the shoulder and, you know, is what it was. And looked for him for about three days and couldn't find him. And and uh, he turned up on a neighbor's trail camera, come to find out after the fact. And uh, I was actually hunting with my daughter across the road from the farm that I have had permission for the last 25 years to start on. And a buddy of mine leased it, and he's like, why don't you do you and your daughter hunt one end? I'll go hunt the other end. We were sitting in a ground blind, and we had had uh, several does come through, and she was young at the time. I don't know, she was maybe 12, 12, 13 years old. No, she couldn't have been that. She, she was only nine years old. Anyway, so it's irrelevant, but she was little, and she was like, I just wanted her to get a shot at a doe or something, but she had this little muzzle loader that, uh, with a light load and, and I was comfortable like the 40 with her and we just couldn't get anything to come in range and she looked at me it was a cold morning and she's like hey dad she said the next one that comes through if it's not in range you kill it I'm like okay why sure I'll shoot the doe I don't care I'll shoot whatever you know I mean I'm with my daughter and we're sitting there and I see this big set of antlers start rolling through at like 75 yards and I uh I'm like, holy shit. I didn't realize it was the same deer at first. And uh, so I remember I got my muzzle and lay it out the, the ground blind. And it was like a double bowl blind. And, and I'm leaning up against her. And I'm like, don't move. She was kind of my rest for my <laughs> arm, you know. Not the gun, my arm. You know, just you stabilize me. your arm. Yeah, yeah. And, and I squeeze it off and boom. And the smoke clears. And he's just he just dropped in fast. And I'm sitting there. And I'm like, oh, my, I'm, I'm all excited. And I look at her. and the tears coming down her cheek and I'm like, what's wrong? She goes, you shot my deer. And I felt like the biggest heel in the world that I'm like, well, you know, I mean, Hey, you said 
you know. So so to, he told to me day, too. It's, yeah, to this day, it's it's she and I's deer. But I walked up to it and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's the deer that I had shot and lost. I was 99% sure. And I rolled him over and right there was a four blade X in his shoulder. That, wow. Yeah. Did you recover the broadhead? No, no, I never did. Never found it. So, nope, never found it. But it wow. was perfect. And so when I had the, I had that shoulder mounted and, and I had the taxidermist, um, I shot him with my bow in his right side. I shot him with the muzzle in the left side. So on the right side, right up tight to the wall, if you go behind, it's kind of like coming off the wall at kind of a little bit of an angle. And uh, you can see he he took the broadhead. He was, the taxidermist were like, this is all messed up. The, the cape is going to make a terrible looking mount. Well, he did. I was like, dude, this is what I want. That's I put that in him. I want that as part of the mount. It's part of the story. So he made it look like a wound that was only, you know, maybe a week old and was starting to kind of heal up. And I think it looks cool. He didn't like it, but I think it looks pretty badass, you know. But you, you got to really look. You got to go around and look at it to see. It. Okay. For me, that was kind of the story, you know, behind it. So, but yeah. Man. But that was a cool day. But that's been many years ago, and that feels like a different lifetime. But hell, I wasn't even filming yet <clears throat> in those days. So I didn't really? start filming until. That was 2008. I started filming 2009. Is when I started filming. So I tell you, I might have filmed something that fall, but that that I didn't. But yeah, it was right about the beginning of my filming career. Yeah. What made you get into filming? I'm an engineer and I'm a nerd, so okay. you know I just fair enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, it it a little bit of that, but it was really because my daughters were hunting so much and. Uh, I was just a dad going, man, I kind of want to, I want to remember this. So, you know, I just, we had a little, you know, a little camcorder. Actually, it's up there. It's a little silver thing up there on the shelf. And uh, so I started taking it out. It, it recorded to like little mini DVD type things and started recording, recorded. I filmed myself killing a couple does and then my oldest daughter killing a deer. And then my youngest daughter shooting a turkey when she was like seven. and. I was like, well, this is pretty cool. And I'm like, well, there's got to be, you know, I mean, the stuff on TV looks better than this. How do you get to that? So, again, I'm an engineer, and so I kind of nerd out on things, and I, I tend to go overboard all the time. <laughs> and uh, I'm a gear junkie, admittedly, um, you know, and, and so, you know, I was constantly just upgrading and trying to figure out, okay, if I buy a better camera, that's got to be the solution, which really isn't the solution but beyond that is okay how do you get better at filming how do you get better at editing and it's just been this long ass progression and i nerd out on it as you know you and i've talked we've had endless conversations about oh, filming yeah. and cameras and editing and you know, oh yeah films versus versus youtube stuff and what all, what all goes into things so it's just where my engineer brain goes and takes me you know so anyway okay. yeah, that's the whole reason and and now now to be honest i enjoy the filming part of it more than i enjoy the hunting part of it i mean like actually killing a deer so much so i I actually now i've been doing stuff that i said i would never do i mean like in september i went out and i filmed a mule deer spot and stock mule deer hunt for an actual tv show and i said i would never do that like i will never be the guy who goes on a hunt just to run a camera and i loved it so much if they called me tomorrow i'd go again and say screw it you know i mean you get to live the whole thing and, and be a part of it. And, and in ways it's even more challenging because. Oh yeah, it is. Um, 
man, everything's on the line. And now you're an extra body, an extra set of smell. You got a camera, you got all this gear you're lugging around. And I mean, it was, dude, it was so rewarding, you know, when we actually on day five killed that mule deer. And I say we, because it was a we process, you know, I didn't, I didn't launch the arrow, but you know, and then to, and to film it and then nail it all and focus and get it all framed up and just the footage. I can't wait to see it's going to air next, I think June or July, and I can't wait to see what they do in there because I'm not going to edit that. I can't wait to see what they do with the editing. Okay, that'll be That's slick. Cool. So, yeah. with your buck, start start off. You know, just take us through the whole process. You know, if you're a a postseason scouting guy in the winter, um, you know, what whatever you do, yeah. I just want to I want you to take us through the your progression throughout the year. It just basically led to you killing a big ass deer. Yeah. So, well, a little, a little thing that, that and I know you know a lot of this, Chris, because we talk a lot. But um, listeners need to know about me is, is you know, and I, I hate these arguments. I hate these debates. We all read them on Facebook about you know, the hot things to be a public land hunter or private land or people who lease. And I hate these, I hate these divisions that we create for ourselves. Agreed. Um, as a group. But what you got to know about me is I am a private land hunter, and there's some reasons behind that. One is I live up in northeast Indiana. Not that there isn't public land, there is, but it's not like, you know, in the, in the part of the world where you're from, Chris, and some of these guys have got, you know, the bigger hills and the bigger tracks of public and or maybe multiple tracks of public. We don't have that. Like, we got a couple... We got one public area. It's a couple thousand acres that's up here. It's all pretty much flat as a board. Anybody who doesn't have private land goes there. It gets overhunted. Um, you never hear about big bucks getting killed out of there. Not to say that you couldn't kill one. You probably could, but you don't hear about them. It, and so up here, it's just a private land culture. Okay. And so, so I'm a private land hunter mainly because of that. Logistically, for me to come down and hunt, say, southern Indiana or something like that, we're talking minimum of a four-hour drive each way and and so you really got to put in a lot of time to do that and I don't always have that kind of time because of my career and everything else that goes on in life so that's who I am um now I also say that in that I own my own land um some of it one farm that I have is permission that happens to be owned by my mother-in-law but I own multiple properties that I actually own and I take a lot of pride in that um you know, because I guess just the way I was raised when I grew up as a kid of this in the seventies and through the eighties growing up, you know, the American dream at that time was still, you know, um, two cars and a house. I mean, that was it. Owning a piece of dirt was the American dream and that was it. And you finally made it. So for me, I always had this ideal that I was going to buy a house and I, and I did that when I graduated college and I was, and I just kept, and I I was like, I want to buy dirt. I want to buy dirt. That's the American dream. That's what I want to do. So, you know, I worked my ass off. I didn't come from a rich, from wealthy family. I mean, my mom was three jobs at a time. You know, my dad, my mom got divorced early. That's a whole different, you know, story. And, you know, so everything that I've done, my wife and I have had to work our asses off to do. So I take a lot of pride in the fact that I'm a private land hunter and I own my own ground. And I know people, I know how expensive ground is. Um, and so, you know, people say, well, if you own ground, you must be rich. And that, that's not the case, you know. I mean, no. 
I've worked my ass off. So, and I do own multiple pieces of ground. Um, so I say all that just, you know, set the stage and, 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 you know, again, I hate the divide that we've created. And I, and I wish I have so much admiration for you guys that go out, um, the guys like you and Jacob Emery and all these guys that I've gotten to know over the years that get in your freaking kayaks and do crazy ass shit on public ground to go <laughs> kill a whatever size deer. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously what you killed or, you know, I mean, or, or does, or, I mean, you know, some of these guys you just go out and kill a 125 inch deer. I've got so much respect for that, but that's just not my DNA and that's not how I am. And quite frankly, I think that there are just a shitload of hunters still out there that are that, but are almost afraid to, to tell people that that's what they are. They're a private land hunter because maybe they don't have the vast amounts of public. Maybe they only got little public and it gets over hunted. Maybe they just don't want to put in that effort either. You yeah. know? I mean, I've told you straight up, sure. I, man, watching what you do in a kayak, it's mad ass respect. There's no freaking way I would do that. I just don't even really want to put in that effort. I would yeah. rather put in my effort doing other things hunting wise. Um, You're probably one of the few honest ones that can say, yeah. I, I don't want to do that. Like that doesn't sound do that. like my thing. No, and most I don't. people will, I, like come up with excuses. Yeah. And it's like, hey, if it's not your thing, it's not your thing. Just yeah. say that. You know, I would, I would I would rather my thing is right here at my house, for example, I own 78 acres. And of that 78 acres, only about 14 acres is woods. I would rather put my time into that little piece of property, knowing that I'm working in a shoebox. Sure. I've got physical boundaries that I can't God, that cross. stresses the shit out of me already. And, and <laughs> see, when I, when I look at public land, it stresses the shit out of me. I get anxiety levels. Like, I don't want to deal with other hunters. So I'd rather play in my box, but that's what I like to do, and that's what I'm comfortable with. And I just, and I think that there's still, there's so many people out there that, that do that. And I think they're afraid to say that that's their comfort zone. That's their wheelhouse. That's what they yeah. like to do. Because, there is, and I'm not knocking the public land trend, but there is this 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 push right now of this public land badass approach, which is awesome. And I think yeah. it it starts with the hunting public, and then it goes on and said, "Look what I did." And again, I've got mad ass respect for well, all I, of you guys to do it. It's amazing. I agree with you. I I think yeah. so. I think. <sighs> I always tell people if it's public, which now it is basically because that's yeah. generally all that I do for my, because of my style of hunting. But I like to say that, especially when you get a better deer like that, only oh, yeah. because I get so sick of hearing, well, that's a good buck for public. And it's like, no, they, <laughs> good buck for anywhere. Freaking, they freaking get big. Yeah. Well, I mean, I wasn't necessarily talking about mine uh, this year, but like, People kill a 120, 130 inch buck. Oh, that's a good one for public. Dude, big deer exist everywhere and big deer are big deer. Yeah. Well, no you know what? I don't, I don't care if it's public or private. The, when people say something about like say 125 inch deer, you don't, you don't, I don't think most people understand that the vast majority of deer hunters will never kill a 125 inch deer. I mean, that, that could very well be. That's, they want, I, mean, I guarantee it. I, I know so many people here locally that hunt their entire lives to kill a 115-inch 
basket eight pointers. I mean, and I'm not, and we have big ass here, dude. I'm sitting in my basement right here, and from where I'm looking out the window, just a few years ago, a 216 inch deer was living and got killed. Oh my I have trail God. camera pictures out the ass of them. Okay, there are so many people that will never kill. Right there, they'll never kill that. That's a 130 inch deer. They'll never kill it. Wow. You know? Okay, they'll never kill it. And so, so I, I just think that there's. This is a total side rant. We haven't even gotten to my deer, but no, I, think I, get gotta, I think you've got to set the stage because I think there's people listen to podcasts, they watch videos, they see, they get on Facebook and they join whatever page and they see all these people and like they're like, shit, I'll never be able to do it. They're out there, but I, I just think that sometimes the standards are just set so high and people need to just Dude. realize that this is this is deer hunting and it doesn't matter. If you're private land lease, if you own land, if you're public, if you saddle hunt, if you hunt out of box blinds, if you hunt with a gun or a bow or a crossbow, whatever, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, just go do your thing and have fun. I agree. Now, I mean, so that's that's kind of where I come from with it all. And now, you know, I I want to explore the the public a little bit more. You and I have talked about it quite a bit. I actually bought land in southern Indiana. I didn't buy much, about 15 acres. It butts up to a ton of of public. I did go down and I killed a doe down there this year on my private, but I want to over coming years to start creeping into that public and have sure. a little bit of that experience. But I'm not about to just abandon everything I do and you know and just dive in and say this is the only way I'm gonna do it. But you know, it's it, it isn't it part of it is very in, in it's inter, it interests me and all that, but again again so but yeah, so that's who I am, and that's how I go about it. And and I've got a real problem. Um, I always tell people that I shoot a Derek deer, which to me, I'm the king of shooting 125 and 130 inch deer. I I love to <laughs> I love to let an arrow fly, dude. And and I'm terrible at judging the size of a deer on a hoof on the hoof. I let I let the adrenaline, you know, uh, take over. And too, because I film everything I do. A lot of times in the camera, and this we'll talk about this when we talk about the deer I killed this year, but to me in the camera, the camera, <laughs> you know, there used to be this Hollywood thing that the camera adds like uh, like 30 pounds to a human being. Yeah. You, know, you always look fatter on camera. With deer, it's the opposite. I've always noticed that deer antlers on camera shrink. When, you, when you're, and I, and I see that in trail cam, at least to me they do in my eyes on trail camera and in the video camera. When I'm looking at a buck, in the screen in a video camera, I'll look at him and go, okay, he looks pretty good. And I look in the screen, I'm like, oh, he looks like he's shrinking. And even when I play it back a lot of times, uh, you know, on camera, which again goes to some of the conversations you and I had the night I killed that buck is they actually shrink to me on camera. And, and so, you know, I just am a terrible judge of it. So when I see 120 or 125 or you know, 130 inch caliber deer walk out. I'm typically drawn back, and something's gonna die. So, you know, but but then again, you know, I've got another friend of mine. He runs he runs a, a business um, that he always strives for. He says you should strive for the top 10 percent of the deer on the that you have available to hunt. That's what you should go after if you want to hunt trophy bucks. And I can tell you because I have so many trail cameras every year, pictures. I'm typically shooting bucks even if it's a 130 inch deer what i have available to me on my lands sure falls in that top 
10 to 15 percent you know it's the upper echelon of the bucks that are available i mean my one i still have a reduction zone tag here i can't i can't find a buck right now to score over about 50 inches you know on my can wow. so you know so at that point it's like what do you do you know so but anyway so that's a little bit about my backstory why i shoot the deer i do how what type of ground i hunt and everything so that being said um yeah so i own property up here and i've got some that my mother-in-law owns that i've been hunting for 20, i think 25 or 26 years now and i really enjoy those pieces of property um even though there are boundaries and you are boxed in but the things that i do um i don't scout a lot in the off season outside of running trail cameras going shed hunting and when i go shed hunting i do my walks but, i mean in a hundred and my one farm's like 125 acres and when i say that again it's mostly killable so there's probably if there's 20 acres of trees on there i'd be shocked but anyways um so you walk the bedding areas and when you hunt these smaller private pieces that are like this the deer tend to generally do the same things year in and year out generations of deer do now that doesn't mean you you just set a stand and hunt it i mean i did that for years and you can have marginal success but you kind of know what they're going to do so when it comes time to scout those properties you have to really dive into the details of scouting and look at it at a very micro level rather than a larger macro level. You know, when you're, I can't really say what like you do, Chris, or some of you guys on the, on these giant pictures. But when I, when I sit there and think of like, man, I'm going to head out on, on 20,000 acres of public ground, that is a macro scale that's so big. It's like, how do you even start, you know, it's how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time? You know, how do you get into that one chunk at a time? But when you're hunting a small piece of property, and you know that typically the deer are going to follow these certain patterns, then you have to break it down to a very micro level because in that game, 20 yards means everything. Yep. You know, when you're, when you're hunting that tight and small of a piece of property, those, it really becomes a game of inches at that point in time. So that's what I tend to do. So when I try, when I find the cup top couple bucks, like, man, these two or three are the ones I'd like to shoot. It becomes trying to figure out what differentiates that deer from the other deer. And when I say that, I mean, the other deer walk this path, but maybe then you figure out, okay, this buck is actually walking a path that happens to be 20 yards over. And so if you're setting up a, your normal tree stand on a funnel that gets where 99% of the deer come through and you're say set 20 20 yards west of it but he's walking 20 yards east of that now all of a sudden you're 40 yards from where he's at and you're you can a lot of times be out of the game and so you start looking at that very micro level on these types of properties um to figure out those one or two specific deer that you know that's what you got to go for and the thing and i made so many mistakes for so many years to before i figured that out you know and i still have these discussions with one of my best friends up here He's been hunting, uh, he hunts uh, some nearby property. He's been hunting out of the same five or six trees for the entire 20 some odd years that he's been leasing that ground. And I'm like, dude, that's why you've only killed in those 20 years, five, five bucks or whatever, you know I mean? Granted, a couple of them were really nice bucks, but 
you're not making that adjustment. You're not willing to, you know, and I get it, you know, it's tearing down stands and moving and, and, you know, so, you know, the whole tactics of everything, the whole mobile hunting thing, when I got into that a few years ago, everybody thinks of mobile hunting, running and gunning on public. It is so deadly on private ground because it, it allows you to make that adjustment and move 20 yards, 30 yards, 50 yards, whatever it is to get in on the deer that you want to get in on. Yep. You know, I mean, I really don't, unless I'm just out to, unless I just want to go shoot a doe because I want to put meat in the freezer or, <clears throat> or punch a specific tag for a, spur, a, specific, a specific purpose or do something like, like say a new broadhead we're developing for Magnus and I got to put down some, down some deer. Okay. Well, I need to go shoot a couple does and they're going to have to be guaranteed. Then I'm going to go to those places where I know that 90% of the deer walk because I know right. I have a specific job I need to get done. But if I'm going after that deer up there on the wall, that's a different game. At that point, you got to make the move. And that's all that kind of, that's how everything led into me killing this deer um, up here. So I had, uh, in September, uh, well, so I had gotten some pictures of, of this buck in August in velvet. And I was like, and I remember going, holy crap, that's a giant deer. And then he kind of, honestly, I'll be honest, he fell off my radar. Um, you know, if I'm not repeatedly getting photos of a specific buck, I tend to just kind of forget about him. Like, okay, it was just a one, one and done type of deal. Um, so I got pictures of him in August and I remember <laughs> him being big and then he just kind of fell off my radar. And, uh, so September comes around and I have a, I have a property. My, the, my mother-in-law's property that I, that I hunt is in what we call a reduction zone in Indiana. We have these special zones where they try and knock down the numbers of deer. And to do that, you get all these extra doe tags and it opens up if you, it's an earn a buck. So you can kill a doe. And then opens up a second buck tag for you, but you can only use that second buck tag in that zone. So, so September gets here and it opens early mid September. And I, and I'm always in like right away. I need to get in. I got to get a doe shot because you just don't know if you're going to get on a good buck that, you know, you can get in that late summer pattern and all. So I go in in September, second or third shot or sit. I shoot this dinky little doe, but again, it was, it served two purposes. There's a broadhead test, and then also it was just get that tag punched so I can get an earn a buck tag, tag opened up. So I kind of had just not even, I, I was leaving my farm here at my house where I killed this deer, leaving it alone because I was so focused on doing that. And uh, I also know in my history, I've owned my property here for, uh, I think, 14 or 15 years. So I've also learned that certain times of the year on my property are better than others. So it, my property tends to be very good right out of the gate those first few days of October. And then you might as well just sit it out until the rut. <clears throat> so I, um, I was just leaving mine alone. I think I hunted, I think I hunted it once the first week of October. Again, I'd kind of let this buck fall off my radar. It was just kind of an observation, um, thing. I don't even remember if I saw anything that night, but I do remember, and I think I've been texting you about it. Um, I've got a lot of oaks on my ground, and you know how you know how oak trees are, man. And for whatever reason, one year this one is a is dropping, and it might be five years before that thing drops. But for some reason, you got this one that's 
40 yards down it and it drops acorns every other year. What, you know, I mean, yeah. it's the goofiest thing. So I remember, I think I was texting you like, dude, look at all these acorns and these red oaks are just dropping all. And I was like, man, this could be good. I'm just going to kind of put this in the memory banks and just kind of sit on it. You know, I had beans in my field. Uh, the neighbor had corn on his field and I can hunt. I got a cool neighbor. He, his field is just corn and I can hunt the edge of his field. He's like, look, if you're bow hunting, if and you're, and you're hunting on the property line with a bow, if something walks by, you can shoot it in my field. That's it. You can't go out in my field and shoot something, but I'll give you that 20, 30, 40 yard window if you want to. <clears throat> and you're welcome to track out there. And but guns, I don't want any guns shooting into my field. I'm like, dude, this is this is always a great deal. So I got corn, I got beans, and all of a sudden, and I got these uh, I got these acorns dropping on these red oaks on the backside of my woods. I'm like, okay, I'm just gonna store this away, you know, in the memory banks and all this. I go down to my property in southern Indiana where I had a freaking giant walking around down there, on public and and. Uh, but he was always at night, nocturnal, and you know I just bought the property like a little over a year ago. hadn't hunted it, so I went down there, did some camping, shot a nice doe back there. Was happy with it. it was good. Knew this giant buck was down there, but you know, I mean, who knows where he's living? I I didn't have the time and effort. I didn't put in the effort to try and figure out where he was actually living. I just knew he'd pass through in the night times, but he was there. I thought maybe. Rut gets here. I'll come down here. Maybe I can catch him chasing something through and, you know, get lucky. Or, and there were some other good deer down there, too. So I've now I've killed two deer, and it's, you know, this is by October 10th or something like that. I've got two deer in the freezer. And I uh, wasn't getting any good bucks on my other property, my reduction zone property. Just didn't want to hunt it because it just wasn't getting anything. I can always shoot does later over there. So I decided, I don't, this had to have been somewhere around the like 12th or 13th of October. Um, and I went out one evening for a sit and I just sat in, I, I climbed up a tree in my saddle that I'd hunted before and this can be an observation thing. And I'm sitting up there. And I got the neighbor's cornfield, and I'm watching all these deer walk up and down between the corn and the property line. I'm like, okay, next time I get the wind right, I just, I need, I need to go and set that. I moved a trail camera out there that, so it was shooting out in there to see what was going on, <clears throat> doing some inventory. So then I didn't hunt it for a few days. Um, and we got to about, I don't know, probably around the, 14th or 15th man yeah so it's two or three days i didn't hunt it we got it around the 14th or 15th and i had the wind right it was like a morning hunt and i went to a tree that i'd never hunted that was about 15 yards back off the edge of the neighbor's corn and again i can hunt i mean and from the corn to the fence line you're talking seven or eight yards you know so you know but if something's going through there you could shoot it I remember watching these bucks come through, these young bucks, and they're making scrapes, and I'm filming them and all this stuff. And they all kept going down to my west, and then they'd come into my woods, and then they'd go out to the edge of the woods along my beans, and they're eating underneath these oak trees where I'd seen all these acorns. I'm like, okay, and I watched it, <clears throat> and then I let it set for a couple more days. 
and then it was like a Monday. It was on Monday morning, and I went out, jumped up in a tree, uh, the same tree. Thought, man, I'm just, I'm like, I love hunting. I love hunting along standing corn because it's just exciting. You never know what's going to come out. They use it like highways. One of the things that always cracks me up is when you, especially on a calm day, when you look out across the standing cornfield and there's one corn stalk and it's just bouncing all over the place. And you're like, that's a deer. I mean, now yep. it could, it might be a button buck, might be a yeah. doe, it might be a gagger. But the fact that there's, you know, it's a deer, you don't know what it is. To me, it's like, I just get all giddy. I'm like a, I'm like a kid on Christmas morning. Like, what's it going to be? What's it going to be? It's know? It's awesome. Jacob, we, we interviewed a guy named Jacob Sklenner uh, two nights ago, I think, and he's killing bucks out of cattail marshes. And yeah. he talked about the same thing. You'd see the, the cattails going like that, and then you'd see like red-winged blackbirds come out mm -hmm. as the deer come through. And I'm like, that sounds oh, yeah. freaking amazing. It's, it's no different than birds coming down a fence yeah. row at you. So, oh, yeah. And it, you get like in the rut, and if you got standing corn, and next thing you know, you get a buck that's chasing those out in the corn, and you don't see them. <laughs> but they're running, and you see them, the corn go everywhere. And I mean, in the, the excitement, because again, it chances are it's a spike or a forky, but you don't know. It could be a gigantic. Right? It's just so much fun. Yeah. That whole like not knowing, you know, type of thing. I literally feel like when I was a little kid on Christmas morning, like, what's in the package? You know, you have no right? idea. You open up, and you're like, shit, it's a pair of socks. You know what I mean? <laughs> So yeah, damn it, it's a spike. But anyway, so uh, yeah, so I'm I'm because I enjoy it. I'm sitting up there, and uh, I have this little buck come through, and of course you can see all this on film because that that's about the day I started when I put this little video together on this hunt. Um, so this little buck comes through, and makes a scrape, and he moves on down. And I see him go. He goes over to these little these oak trees. I'm watching. I'm not paying attention. Next thing you know, I turn around and there's a couple more. And uh, I'm pretty sure that's how that went. I can't remember now. It was either the nine. Anyways, there's bucks over there. Well, so I do, I go back the next day and I hunt again. And it was either the first or the second day. I can't remember. I'd have to watch the video. But I see this big nine pointer down there feeding underneath this oak tree. I think it was the first day. I think it was a Monday. So he's feeding under the oak tree. And I watch him, I'm like, and I'm looking through the glass, through my binos, and there's leaves on. I can't tell how big he is, but he's a nine, and I film him. And uh, so then the next day, there's more deer that do it. I'm like, okay, this is, again, this is the scouting, the micro-scouting. It's like, I could keep sitting here. This is a good traffic spot I'm in. But they're obviously are feeding down there. So the yeah. beauty of mobile hunting and not being married to a tree stand set is making that adjustment. Hey everybody, Rick here from Fueled by the Outdoors, and I'm here to tell you about a wonderful company, Saddies, custom ammunition and gun works. Aaron Satterfield and his family have been turning out some awesome game loads lately. Uh, I've been using the Saddies Fatties uh, turkey loads, and I gotta tell you, they stop a bird dead. Chris uh, used a 20 gauge this year. I used the 12. Josh used a 20. And uh, my son actually killed one with a 410 this year with uh, one of Saddies loads. And my God, do they put the birds down like crazy. Aaron Satterfield and his family have a wide ranging array of ammunition, custom game loads, predator loads, turkey loads, the Saddies Fatty, and also they do gun work. Please get a hold of them with 
any questions that you have in terms of your custom ammunition needs, go to saddiesllc.com. That's S-A-T-T-I-E-S-L-L-C.com and tell them that Rick from Fueled by the Outdoors sent you. I uh, I knew that there were acorns on the ground, but I hadn't been over there in a few days. So I can't remember. The next day I had something going on. Well, that Thursday then, we got rains that move in. And uh, you can really only hunt down this spot on like a north, a variant of a north wind. And you definitely can't hunt it on a west wind um, or a south wind. So we had this rains and south winds come in on Saturday. So I went back there, was going to check trail cameras. And I hadn't been back in this edge. I mean, it's only 50, 60 yards from where I'd been hunting, but I hadn't been that far back in quite a while. And I walked back there and dude, it's like somebody just poured out marbles everywhere. I mean, there's just acorns everywhere and there's rugs everywhere and the scrapes are all opened up. And I was like, holy cow. And, you know, I mean, the eyes saw it. You know, I saw bucks down there feeding on multiple sits. I saw what I thought was a really nice nine pointer down there feeding. I'm like, I, the next north wind, I got to get in here. Well, that was Thursday and I knew looking at the forecast that Friday was going to be a, a north wind and, and, uh, I kind of cleared up my work schedule so I could get out there early. And of course I, you know, I mean, I've filmed, I've documented all the stuff and everything. And so. Um, I got out there early on a Friday afternoon. I probably went out about two o'clock in the afternoon and I was waiting on what trees. And I'm like, well, this tree here to the one particular red oak that they kept going to, um, was a split base tree, really easy to identify through the woods. And, and like, well, there's a big tree here about 14 yards east of it. I'm like, as long as these winds hold north, or yeah, hold it as a north wind. So they're blowing, you know, to the south and the speed trees to my west. Man, if they come to that tree, you know, I'll at least film deer. You know, I well, mean, it really was because you don't know. I mean, I'm like, yeah, you know, hey, I'll film deer. You know? But it sounds like they could have the wind and you could too. You'd be just off of them, basically. Right. Just off, so off of them. Not right. is the only way yeah. you end up killing those big bastards. Right. right exactly. They do just off my wind. And so, sitting up there and the winds the winds weren't when i got out there they weren't very bad but I, the forecast said they were going to pick up like 15 16 17 miles an hour uh by dark and uh so i thought well you know i when those winds pick up hard like that a lot of times it screws with their nose in fact when you're close to them they'll blow your live time percent right over top of them and uh you know because there's only 15 14 yards off that tree so I thought there's some swirling. I could get lucky and all that stuff. I'm sitting up there and filming and was actually I was trying out a couple of a new saddle and a new platform. And I'm actually like doing product video stuff <laughs> while I'm up there hunting to kill the time, you know, and so I can do some videos on some products. And, and uh, I'm sitting up there and hadn't seen a thing, hadn't seen a thing. And it was, I don't remember, it was probably an hour before legal time ended. And, uh, I look down across my bean field and the na- a neighbor's woods, which would be northwest of me, I see this huge buck. And I thought he was, I thought he was a 10 pointer. I see this huge 10 pointer step out, what I thought was a 10. 
he steps out and I'm like, holy shit. I get the binos up and I'm watching him and he turns. He's, he comes out from the northwest facing south and he turns straight west. Now I'm southeast of where he came out. He turns straight west and starts walking west. And I'm like, oh God, are you kidding me? And like this wind, there's wind. There's no way he's going to hear a grunt. He's not going to hear anything. All you can do is sit there. And I couldn't even really film him because there's so many leaves on the trees. And uh, so he goes down and he makes a scrape. And I'm just watching him. I'm watching him. I'm like, oh, man. And then he heads further west. I'm like, oh, bitch, man, come on. You know, don't do this to me. You know? And uh, so next thing I know, where he stepped out of the woods, out steps another buck. Just a little dinky dork buck. I don't know, four or six point or something like that. Steps out. And I'm like, okay, and I'm watching him, and that little buck starts walking right towards me. I was like, and I was like, oh, you're dead now, buddy. You're dead. Like, I knew, I just knew he was going to follow this little buck to that, that little, I'm like, this little buck's going to Little satellite lookout. He's 150 yards from me. This big buck's going to work these scrapes. This little buck's going to walk over. All this little buck wants to just come and eat acorns. And this big guy's going to be like, you know what? I'm going to come over there and eat. I'll be the last one to come and eat acorn. So all I see is this little buck come out. He heads my way. Then he disappears because there's so many leaves on the dang tree. And then I see the big guy turn around and he starts heading back to the east. And I'm like, okay. Because again, I'm southeast of where he's at. I'm like, all right, there we go. This is going to be good. And he's out there again, 150-ish yards or so. A long ways to go. So the leaves are blowing and everything. I kind of lose track. The next thing you know, I see the body of a deer approaching the feed tree that's 14 yards from, yards from. I probably see the deer at like 30 yards. Like there's that little buck. This is awesome. He comes up, he feeds underneath the tree, and I look out, and now the big buck has closed the distance. He's probably 100 yards from me, and he's just feeding in the beans. Just He's just out there just eating brown beans, you know? I mean, it's just brown, brittle beans. He's out there just munching on them. So this little buck comes up, and he feeds underneath this tree directly to my left on my west, and I've got a north wind. I'm like, this is awesome. And then he gets done eating, and he walks directly downwind of me at five yards. And I'm only 10 feet up in the tree because there were so many leaves. The canopy was so dense. If I went any higher, I actually would lose shot opportunity. Yeah. I'm only like maybe 10 feet up is it. And uh, I was I basically I took two Ewo sticks and my platform. And that's all the higher I was up in the tree. And so he's at five yards and I'm sitting, I'm literally sitting in my saddle, knees against the tree going, I can't move. I can't, I couldn't even get my bow. He's just standing there. And uh, so I'm just kind of watching him out of the corner of my eye. And uh, finally he spins his head a different way. I reach up and I grab my bow and I'm like, I'm just going to hold my bow here. I'm going to run my camera one handed because I don't want to get in a situation where I have to reach for something when, right, you know, and have this little guy see me. So he's there. So I got this knucklehead standing there at like five yards from me, behind me. And I look out in the field and I can't see the big buck. I'm like, oh God, I don't know where he went because I've been watching this little idiot. I don't know what's going on. And I'm sitting there and I'm just like, okay, just watch the field, watch the field, just ignore this deer, don't move. And I see a body of a deer coming. I'm like, oh God, it's him, it's him, it's him. Oh shit, it's a spike. 
like so i got the second little deer that i'd never seen <laughs> comes out so he walks to the feed tree and he feeds like okay this is cool i'm like okay just don't move because this little guy still is five yards behind me and uh i'm sitting there and and this other the second buckman he feeds on and he goes south of me so now he's 15 yards downwind of me so now i've got two little bucks downwind of me roughly five to 15 ish yards give or take Wind's blowing my scent right over top of them. Yeah, and, and you, you've got a stiff that, breeze, right? That stiff wind, you know. Yeah, and, it uh, saved your ass. Wow. So I'm sitting up there, I'm scanning, I'm, I'm watching the opening, and watching the opening, I'm like, oh, body of the deer, here comes a deer. All I can see is brown. It's got to be him. Third little dinky buck. I'm like, where do these dinky bucks come from? He walks up to the, as he's approaching the feed tree, I see a fourth body. I'm like, okay. And then I see the antlers. Boom. There he is. So he's now he's following this third little buck to the feed tree. He's probably <laughs> he's probably 25, 30 yards out now at this point. Again, you gotta remember a lot of foliage and stuff. He turns as the as the third little buck approaches the feed tree, the big one cuts broadside to me at like 25 yards. And I said, screw it. I came to full draw. And I'm like, you can't stop him or anything. He paused briefly and then he started walking and I had to let down. I'm like, oh God. With these little knuckleheads oh my God, right behind me. Stressful as shit. Dude. Oh, I know. And so I'm sitting there filming. And so he then turns towards the feed tree. And when he turned and made his first steps to the feed tree, that third buck was like, Nope, I'm gone. So he kept walking. So now he never quite got downwind of me, but now I've got essentially three deer right there, all within 25 yards of me. And the big guy walks right to that feed tree at 14 yards, slightly, well, he was quartering to me at probably a 45 degree angle. And we, we got a new broadhead we're, we're, we're going to release with Magnus. And I knew there was no question, drive it through the shoulder. It's not, there's no way it's not going to penetrate. I just know. And, uh, so I'm excited for this head when we release it at ATA, but, uh, so he's 14 yards. He puts his head down. I came to full draw and he's got an oak leaf hanging out of his mouth. And I put the pin right on his shoulder and let it eat. Just let the arrow go. Hit him a little lower than I kind of expected. Um, he freaking explodes out of there, bounds off, circles around me. Um, and I watch him disappear into my woods. And I'm like, holy shit did that just happen all on video you know and everything and and all this and and uh so i go back and i look at the video and i'm like okay yeah it felt kind of low but i get down real quick i go look at the arrow it's got gray blood on it but it's got some fatty on it i'm like man if i hit him too low if i got like man i you know did i get him below the heart because i thought a heart shot him did i get him below the heart all this i actually texted you were like the second person i texted actually on it i'm like dude i that killed just i think i just smoked a huge one and uh so then i was like okay i started looking for blood found a little bit i was just like man i don't want to, i don't want to push it so i went back to the house and this goes back into what i'd say is is deer on video to me always look smaller than they are in real life because then i go back to the house to play it and look at the shot 
And of course, the camera angle from my angle is just enough where yeah. the impact is behind a tiny little tree from the camera <laughs> perspective. So I'm like, what the hell? So then I'm looking at him on film and I'm like, I, I think I just killed 125 inch nine point. And I was, I think I actually texted you. I'm like, dude, I think yeah. I got the wrong deer. It's yeah. because, of, you know, I mean, the deer weren't, I couldn't see the deer until they were like 30 yards because all the foliage. I'm like, oh, I'll shit, never forget nine that. In front of this big 10. And I'm like freaking out. I'm like, God, I'm so mad at myself. I'm like, I just did it again. I shot 125 inch deer. I'm pissed at myself. Oh, sitting you know, there like, all this. How did you do that? You just said you killed like a really big deer, and then you're like, "Oh, it's a 120 inch deer." And I'm like, "Yeah, Wait. well, it's again, to me, when I and I still I look at the footage and go, God, that's a 140 inch deer." But uh, anyway, so so I said, "Well, you know what? I'm just gonna." It was obviously dark, and and uh, I'm like, I'm just gonna give him some time. I know where he went on my property. If he's dead, he's dead. So I let him lay for like four hours and uh, went back out at 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night and uh, got on the blood. It, it, I didn't have much blood for about the first 30 yards. And then the blood started dumping really good and uh, went and then there was just buckets of blood as I got closer to him. And, uh, yeah, he went like 120 yards and piled up right there on my in the middle in the almost as dead center of my woods as you can get. And uh, yeah, I walked up to him. And I was like, "Holy shit, that's not 125 inch nine pointer, you know?" And uh, yeah, so it was, so it was it was cool, you know. I, I was I was really excited and, and uh, yeah, I think I was texting you and some other guys about it, you know, buddies of mine about it. Of course, everybody's in bed by that point in time, but. Yeah, so it was one of those. It was it was a lot of it was a great surprise. I was very happy with him. Got him out the next morning, and I thought I was going to kill myself getting him in the back of my Ranger to get him out. <laughs> but uh, next morning we had a beautiful sunrise and like some fog hanging so, over my pond, and I was able to take some beautiful, you know, some really nice pictures of him and all that. But uh, yeah, I I was very happy with him. But it was. Um, paying attention to the details, you know that that was and being mobile and you know I've, I've got friends around here i talk about it all the time they're just married to their same trees and i'm like man if you guys would be mobile if, if you whether it's a climber or a saddle or a lightweight tree stand or you know whatever and go hunt the most current sign hunt the, the look at the details and adjust to them you can always go back to that tried and true location or stand that you've got where 90 some percent of the deer always walk by you can always go back to that but go with go with the most current sign whether it's a couple hot scrapes whether you see a bunch of deer that are feeding on some type of food source um you know whatever it is that's what you need to hunt if you and and that can imply if you just want to go out and put you know meat in the freezer even man i mean just because deer walk the same path most of the time maybe for a week all the deer are going to be over here 50 yards away you know my move from where i had been seeing them to where i killed them was about 50 yards you know and and my old hunting methods i would have never made that move i'd have been like damn i'm 50 yards out of the game every day you know and 50 yards out of the game with a bow you might as well be a it's an eternity yeah you know, yeah I mean, it's it's interesting to 
to listen to you talk and break things down in my head. Like when you talked about the cornfield, how you see deer moving down the edge of the cornfield a bunch. Talking about edge within cover, basically. Mm-hmm. And they feel super, yeah. you know, I always go back to security, especially with a bigger deer. But any deer, they want to feel safe. And that that little edge within cover like that, that's how I killed my deer, too. And I, I mine was different. It wasn't porn, obviously. But right. um, it's just amazing how, for whatever reason, I don't know what it is about an edge that I, I don't know if it gives them like a direction to travel or what yeah. or a there's, barrier there's, there's a i think it's all that i think i think it's a it's it's that travel corridor it gives them something you know they are kind of lazy they do like taking the path of least resistance so when you yeah. get like an edge of a corn field like that that's an easy walk from them but it's also as a barrier they feel like nothing can see them and if you the beauty is if you can get three or four edges yeah, all coming together with oh, close, well, and they don't have to come together like a four-way stop. But if you can get them to come together in a reasonably close proximity, say fifty yards of each other, oh my gosh, that can be one of the the most killer setups. I mean, they love it, you know. That is what we call a hub. <laughs> <laughs> That's well, literally yeah. all those little secondary ridges yeah. dumping down a travel corridor. Yeah. Any any. You know, bunch of lines that deer are traveling, where they intersect. That's like yeah. your honey hole. Yeah. So, but yeah, it's it, also, it really is. Yeah, it really is kind of. It, it's kind of the the flat the flatland ag version of your thermal type hubs that you guys yeah. always talk about. And yeah. I can't. I I struggle to relate to that when all you guys start talking about those thermal hubs because I'm like, that's not the terrain we hunt. But the principles are the same when you get those yes. different lines of cover coming together from different directions. And it might be just the way that this woodlot sets up to this cornfield relative to a bean field and maybe a fence row somewhere else. Those, those different habitats and structures, when they come together and meet all in, in somewhat of a relatively tight space, again, that could be 40, 50 yards of each other that will just bring all those deer there, you know, maybe yep. not all year, but definitely at certain times of year. So it's, for sure. it's also interesting to hear you talk about basically doing observation sits, which is what we do on public a lot too. And like, you're just kind of hanging back because you don't want to, you know, public private doesn't matter if you don't know where you need to be you're always best off staying out and looking with your eyes. You know, that's way better than any trail camera could ever be. Right. So, um, no, I, I do it all the time. And, you know, and two is, um, I'm never one. I love hunting. I love being out. I dude, I'm, I think last year I, I I went out 72 sets or something like that last year. You know (laughs) I mean? It's crazy. I just, I love spending time out in a tree. So while, while I'm not, I mean, Look, I would make a move on on opening day if I if I knew that I had a buck in this spot, I would make a move to go after him. But it doesn't break my heart at all to go out and spend opening day in the first two or three work weeks doing observation sets, trying to figure it out because I enjoy being out there. It doesn't matter yeah. to me if I kill that deer on October first or December thirty first. You know, I mean, I because I enjoy being out there, so I. I enjoy those observation sets. I mean, we all yep. like having deer around us, but 
just trying to figure out, okay, this is where they're doing, you know, at. I, I hunted the other night for the first time in like three weeks. And it was fun watching. We had snow on the ground. These, it's post rut. Now all these deer they want to eat. And it was fun watching these does um, try and, you know, figure out what they want. I was hunting over a food plot, but it was fun watching them go out in the cornfields and eat before they came to the food plot. And there were so many deer, too many sets of eyes, but it was literally was an observation set to see what did, what are the deer doing? And I'm probably going to go out and try and shoot a mature doe. It's like, okay, let's figure out what the older does are doing. Let's just watch the herd, see what the goofy young ones are doing. Watch what the bigger, older ones are doing. Um, Cause right now I don't have a buck on that ground that I want to shoot. So let's pick out an older doe or two, try and figure them out, sit a few times and, if we go after one here, you know, in the next week or two or whatever and figure them out. So those observation sets are powerful, whether you're on public or private or whatever. Hell and, yeah. Uh, you know, you just, but you got to be willing to now, you know, based on where I was sitting, I was sitting in a box mine, which sucks. I don't like box mine. But they're great for observation. But what it what it is, is if I do that two or three times and figure out that they're using this certain location on certain winds, they just, whether they want the corn that night because of the carbs or whatever, then it's time to grab the saddle, go find a tree that I most likely have never sat in before, jump up there and hopefully put an arrow in one or something, you know? So that's what it's really all about, which really is no different than, than public principles. But again, so many times, and I was guilty of this so many times when you're on public is you're married to those five or six or seven stand locations. And they're heavy ass stands and who wants to go tear those down? You put all the work into hanging it up there. I don't want to tear it down, get all sweaty, move it halfway through the season, second guess myself. Well, hell, if you're running lightweight, you know, mobile setups like we're all running now, go try that tree. There's no second yeah. guessing. Like, okay, Literally. it either worked or it didn't. And if it didn't work, you're out one set. Who cares? Go back to wherever you were thinking about sitting. When you're tearing down heavy ass, steel stands that you bought from the local farm store and sticks and all that crap it blows pain in the ass who wants to do that you know so yeah. that's the that's one of the things that uh that, you know that really i think from a private land small small land private land hunter being mobile the last few years has just made me such a more effective hunter and it's it's made hunting more enjoyable yeah honest. way more enjoyable I would agree with that. And I, you know, obviously I've got the expo, right? So I sound like biased, but I always tell people, I'm like, why do you think I did that? Like, And now it's really cool. And and this doesn't make me any kind of a professional or anything, but like, I would never have even had a chance with this deer had I not been mobile. I wouldn't have had a chance with any of the deer I've killed on public and now you know just to be able to like progress and be able to get out and scout and read the sign like you talked about and figure things out as I go and and again you just bounce around and you're like you know you're basically just knocking pawns off a chessboard okay cross that off cross that off here he is (laughs) check uh a couple years ago I went and hunted Missouri um and I took all my saddle gear and, and sticks and stuff with me. I was hunting some public and a buddy of mine there, he hooked me up with a guy he knew he that hunted this public. And so the guy's like, Yeah, man, he's like, Meet me 
he's like, uh, I'll, I'll kind of like show you how to get in. It was kind of tricky getting into this. They were doing some construction. And, and so you kind of, he had this, he's like, here, I'll show you how to get in here. I'll kind of give you a little lay of the land and all that stuff and, and then go have fun. I'm like, okay. And so we're walking down like this lane together talking. He's like, yeah, you see deer do this and this and everything. And I'm like, okay. I'm like, well, like, you know, where do you hunt? You know, you personally in here, I don't want to step on your toes. He goes, oh, he goes, my tree stands right up here. And I'm like, your tree, and we get up to it, and he's got a ladder stand on a tree. And I'm like, dude, you've got like thousands of acres of public land. <laughs> <laughs> and you, and he's like, yeah, he's like, I just hunt this one ladder stand right here. And I'm like, <laughs> like, look, I don't really know much about this public land hunting stuff, okay? And, you know, I, I haven't been saddle hunting, you know, the longest, but this just doesn't seem like a very smart approach what doing, <laughs> but whatever man you know so hey you know knock yourself out so, yeah. dude i'll never forget when i rolled into one of my spots and i found a bunch of like uh like preset stands and i, oh I just wanted to throw up i was like so you're telling me we've got this opportunity here with these deer and you know where i'm hunting i feel very confident in it. i'm like you thought it'd be a good idea to hang these stands like this. I'm like, oh, and you, like you could tell, like they'd been in there, they beat the hell out of all the vegetation and everything. And I'm like, and then as I'm standing there, I'm like you did like wide open, no cover. And it's the opening weekend. Like there's cover. Yeah. Like you, yeah. you literally just thought these deer were just going to lay down on their back and spread their legs. Huh? Like, good God. So yeah. I, I feel you there. I don't yeah, know what well, I you do. Know, even on my private uh, properties, you know, I mean, I've pretty, I only have one stand behind my house, one hang on stand behind my house that's up that I would actually hunt. On my other property, I think I've got two. I left a bunch up on my other property just as like decoy stands. Yeah. Because basically, even though I don't really have a lot of neighbor pressure or anything, I just the farmer who farms it and stuff. I'm like, I'm just gonna leave these old stands up and just I don't maintain them. I wouldn't get in them because I'm sure that straps are all chewed and rotted and everything else. But I just leave them up and like I don't even hunt them anymore. I mean, you know, I, I've got I've got a couple there that I leave up that are huntable. One behind the house, and the only reason they're there really is because my youngest daughter Sydney, when she comes home like at Christmas break or at college, she'll want to go hunt some. And and she hasn't, I've had her in a saddle. We've done some videos some how-to videos with her and stuff, but she hasn't had the experience yet and stuff. And so I like here, and she just wants to kill a deer. These are in places where 99% of the deer walk, you know, it's like, <laughs> these are easy spots and I can go, she can get up in them. I can go up in a saddle and I can film her or something like that. But yeah, for me, I'm not hunting out of those. Like no. I'd, I'd rather be in a, I'd rather bounce around and, you know I mean? On. Dude, I in the last four years I've killed I think eight bucks in the last four years, and of those eight bucks, I think six of them were in trees I've never been in before. You know, and that neat on your own damn yeah, property. on on your own property. Yeah, yeah that's on pretty your cool. Own private ground property, you know. And I don't that's know how many cool. does I've killed that you know same yeah. way, you know yeah. same way, you know. So it's oh. yeah, it's again you can take all these guys who are like me, they're hunting private ground. 
you can take these principles that you hear about that guys are doing on public and apply them to your private zone. Your scouting has got to be kind of different. Again, I think you really got, not that you don't have to pay attention to details in public. I'm sure you do. But I really think when you're hunting these really, when you're hunting 12 acres of woods, looking for that little tiny detail is neat that's, that's 20 yards difference from what you thought every other deer was doing. That's the difference between succeeding and not. So you really, you really got to, and you got to be real careful too. You can overpressure them so bad and you got to hunt it. You got to hunt the right times, the right windows, go with what your eyes are telling you. Maybe what your cameras are telling you. Don't just go out and hunt just because you want to go out and hunt. I think that's the one thing that's kind of rough about private. Cause I think, I think a, pri- a public public land guy, consistent, successful one anyway, is probably looking at that same minute detail that you are. But the difference is, is you can overpressure your hundred oh. acres quick because they're not using the whole hundred acres, right? Like oh. there's little spots. And oh. if you pressure those, it's over. Yeah. It's nighttime. It's over. And, you know, yeah. you'll get nighttime photos. And, and where, like, and this is what helped me kill that deer you just bounce around. Oh, there's pressure over here. Okay. So I know we basically have a roadblock here. We got a roadblock here and a roadblock out here. Go in the middle of the roadblock. Like that's basically yeah. like a barrier. And that uh, it's literally like, that's probably the biggest thing I learned this year is they're not running away. They're just going to yeah. go right around you. <laughs> yeah, and exactly. That's, that's yeah, what they exactly. were doing. Multiple yep. bucks. I, I was listening. I was listening today. Uh, to a podcast on I was on driving today on the on the, so I had to go out of town for some work and I think it was Andy May he was on a podcast and, and he was talking about some success he had on some public land somewhere I can't remember and he and he said that uh, when he was looking at this it was thousand it was like a thousand acres and he said every single hunter that was hunting that public was hunting within like two hundred yards of the road or the it's like it's just like what you, he was saying the same thing is like, you know, you always hear people say, go deeper, go farther. Well, yes and no. I think it's more important to what you're talking about. I've heard Dan Impulse say this too, is just go where the people aren't. You know, yeah. When you got a roadblock and pressure here or pressure there, go where they're not. And yep. And again, that can apply with private too, man. I mean, it if, does. You, if you've got a neighbor that puts a lot of pressure on, um, you know, I, I guess I'm a little fortunate. My neighbors don't really bow hunt much. You get in gun season, there's a lot of pressure. But during bow season, they don't. So I, so I don't really have that pressure. But I, but I, I can find that, that I can overpressure stuff. And so you just got to really be careful because you, you can create your own roadblock. And you can even do that going out and just checking, checking trail cameras all the time, too. So, so it's, it's interesting that we're having this conversation and you bring up Dan. So he made a post yesterday and I had seen this posted before and talked about the same theory, which I don't even think it's a theory because it's the gospel. But he made a post yesterday talking about how we've all heard the same story. You take a first-time hunter, a kid, whatever, and then they end up killing the biggest buck on the property, the biggest buck anybody's ever seen. And people think it's luck. And and it is to an extent, but it's more often than not, uh, you're the new guy. Go sit over there where nobody else hunts. Nobody wants to hunt yeah. over there. And you're not saying that. You're gar-holing them. And then Lottie freaking die. 
here comes big old Mr. Kanish, and bam, he's Griffin Grin on a giant while everybody else is scratching their head and chalking it up to luck. And it's like, no, nobody goes over there. And I found, you know, I haven't killed a giant that way, but it's just funny because you get those overlooked spots where people refuse to go. Sometimes they just look unattractive and other times they're tough to get to and tough, tough doesn't always mean far. And I listened, Mm -hmm. I listened to a podcast recently that I really identified with. I say this to people all the time, like, man, if I'm like kind of cussing and bitching at myself early in the morning on my hike in kayak in whatever, it's probably going to be a pretty good day. Cause I know that most people are not doing that at four thirty, five thirty in the morning. So, you know, a lot of people aren't going to go and walk an hour and 12 minutes through the hills of Kentucky and then go climb a tree and then come back. So it's like, yeah, once I start bitching, I'll, I'll, I'll do it every time too. I always forget. I'm like, you freaking moron. Like you got these private farms and closer well, public. I don't know about everybody else, but I can tell you Derek Craig's not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, Dude, that's it's so hilarious. much work, man. It, it I've is. got so much respect for you guys to do that, but man, there's there's no way. So it's, there's no it's way. crazy. I'm feeling my age this year, though. I, I need to take a few pounds off and hydrate and stretch better because after I killed that deer, like I lost, I think I lost like seven pounds in two weeks hunting that deer. And um i was lighter than i had been in years i was down to like 213 which i normally hang around 220 something and uh dude my knees and ankles were just not feeling great at all and they're just now feeling better because i'm constantly getting in and out of a kayak portaging up slimy rocks you know so that that's something that's a whole different rabbit hole and i know we've been going a while but dude i'm telling you that's a whole different rabbit hole that we could go down that people just don't understand and uh so three years ago my wife and i decided to make some life-changing things and and uh, we both lost a lot of weight I, I dropped 60 pounds Jeez. and you know and uh dude i work out now i work out a minimum five days a week I mean, wow. I was up this morning before going off on the road for work, working out and everything. And I've kept it all up. Now, I lost 60 and I put about 15 back on. Some of it was needed to be put back on, especially in terms of muscle, because when you do a big weight loss like that. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I was up to I was up to almost 270, you know. And, and wow. So, yeah. And so I lost, uh, you know, that 60 pounds. And, and now now I hover right around uh 220 but that's because i work out so much but i got yeah. down to actually i lost those i actually got below 200 pounds briefly damn and i looked like a skeleton and it was so bad a couple of years ago um well when i shot that big wide aid that i did the film for the film festival that real wide mm-hmm. aid on that uh earn a buck that buck i was so physically weak that was when i weighed i weighed right around 200 pounds um when I shot that deer and I was lost so much muscle. I couldn't get that. I couldn't get the deer out of the woods myself. I couldn't get in the truck. I mean, I thought I was going to die just, you know, and, and I've always been physically a very strong person. Like for me, yeah. throwing a deer in a truck is never you lose that muscle easy. mass, man. Yeah. You it, lose it all. Yeah. So then I started working out and man, it's been just a game changer when it comes to hunting even, you know, I mean, 
I mentioned going out to Montana and, and mule deer hunting and filming that. And here I am, 54 years old, and I'm outpacing, you know, these guys who are 30 years old, you know, and awesome. running up and down these mountains and, and just physical strength. And, you know, and even, you know, when I, when I was heavy, I'd start, I'd been saddle hunting then. It was, it was doable, but now for me, going up and down the tree is like zero effort. There's no, yeah. there's not a lot of effort anyways. You know, as Greg Staggs always says, I'm burning no calories. Which, you know, really, if you're doing it right, there isn't a lot of effort. But yeah, there's nothing. When you're bigger, just but even like when you're bigger, like even getting into your dump pouches is a bit yep. because there's just much. It's hard to twist. Absolutely. You know, but now I, I stretch and I work out, and there's so many guys and men and women hunt. They're hunting would improve, and their whole lives would improve. You know. If oh yeah. We all ate healthier and all that stuff and everything, but. Yeah, like your knees and your ankles, and I mean, just doing everything. My job, hell, even my job, everything's easier. Amen, so, dude. But I, yeah, dude, drop some weight, man, and you'll be you'll be freaking like a fucking uh, wild cat going up and down those mountains. <laughs> I was so, I was kind of having a little talk with myself because I was like, man, you did this kind of thing, you know. I I wasn't the greatest, but um, I also was like competing against and with a damn bodybuilder my buddy luke lacy like literally was a little fitness model mother freaker so you know that's what i was comparing myself to all the time and i'm like i don't have that kind of discipline working out and yeah. diet and all that but one of the things that i struggle with is i have focus issues big time um no like i didn't realize that right so <laughs> So like I'd be, you know, when squirrel, you're squirrel. right. So when you're shooting a bow and trying to do so at a high level, you're paying attention to a shitload of stuff. And I would find that I wouldn't be able to do it. So I thought, you know what? Let's eat a little better. I'm not we're not trying to like be a fitness model or anything, but let's eat a little better, especially like the day before and the day of. Make sure you get a good breakfast beforehand and all that. Split up your rounds of 10 and everything. And then the other thing you need to do is take snacks with you and a bunch of water. And you're not, you can't drink pop the day before or the day of because that screws with you. You got to get to sleep. Like, and those are all such overlooked things. Most yeah. people, they'd go to these IBO nationals and they'd be drinking and staying mm -hmm. up late, partying. They're drinking freaking Mountain Dews and all that on the course. And I'm like, dude, you're a druggie. Like, you're never going to beat me mm -hmm. if you're doing that. Like, you can have all the talent in the world, and it's not going to happen. And it helped me, and I did really well. So, I, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, like, you used to do stuff like that. Like, why don't you just start stretching really good every day and then just do some light jogging and, and calisthenics and all that, eat a little better. And we'll just chip away at this thing. And then yeah. by next season, maybe you can you, be in you know you, decent shape and you'll be you'll you'll be a totally different person, man. And I just you know, I, I still man, I dude, I still like to eat shitty food every once in a oh, while. Oh dude, I'm terrible. And I and I still drink too much beer, you know, every once in a while. <laughs> that kills recently, me. actually. Yes. Uh, but uh but anyways, but but my point is, is man, you start you start eating well and working out, lose weight. 
And I would say, man, nothing tastes as good as skinny feels, man. Just yep. in shape. Sound like dangerous. It's, it's awesome. So it'll yeah. make you a hell of a lot better hunter. That's for sure. Yep. So. I told my wife, I'm like, because I, I fall all the time and it's not anything other than footing. Like you just can't help it. You're walking on, you know, old purchased farms by the government that have down barbed wire fences that you can't see until it's too late. You got rocks slipping out, uh, logs going downhill that are branches pointed downhill that are buried in leaves and you step on it and you don't even know it. And then you slide down it and land on your hip. And I sound like I'm 75 years old getting a damn hip replacement or something. But I told her, I was like, for 20 years, I walked on the same farms, on the same trails, sat in the same trees. I had it down. I, I, there was, I knew every twig in that place. Now, like you said, I'm in a new tree all the time. I'm going different access routes and everything. And a lot of times I'm in the dark. And so, you know, and a lot of times you're stepping where you can't even see where your feet are going. So it's, it's easy. I'm hunting harder than I ever have, and I'm going to be 40 in May. So it's like, you know, I wish I'd have started this shit when I was 20. Dude, I'm 54. It doesn't get any easier. Oh. Right? So, it doesn't oh. get any easier. So. Anyway, I'll quit yeah. complaining. Well, dude, I appreciate yeah, you yeah. coming down, uh, coming on and talking about your book with us. And uh, again, huge congrats. Well done. Um, mm -hmm. Looking forward to uh, seeing what else you put down this year. And then I, uh, I want to do a little postseason scouting with you down on your your yeah. farm. I know we we keep talking about we need to do yep. that. So I'm gonna make I'm a better. I, I'm a little better prepared now, man. I you know I bought I bought my hot my hot water my shower. You know <laughs> I can take my shower. I can there we you go. Know, you know all there all my go. yeah you know so all I'll, my elitist toys. So I'll drive <laughs> I'll drive the <laughs> 17 hours that it seems like it is, and we'll go look for some sheds and beds and all that. So yeah, well, brother. Time, so. Hey man, thanks for uh, having me on. I appreciate it, man. So, yep, guys. But, oh uh, yeah, check New Day Outdoors. Check it New, out. <laughs> you need to check out New Day Outdoors and go watch his buck video and the whole nine. He's got all. He's got a hundred million different videos, ducks and bucks and you name it. Got just about everything. Huh? Please subscribe. Please subscribe to my channel. It means everything. Hit the like buttons on the videos, please. So throw a comment. All the things you that go. every YouTuber has ever said to you. But uh, guys, thanks so much for tuning in. This has been Fueled by the Outdoors. I've been your host, Chris Lepper. And tonight we were joined by Derek Craig with New Day Outdoors. See ya. <laughs>